Wake up, Granny. Come on home. everybody this is schmitty with another episode of talking schmidt i like to read what i wrote i also like when people comment he looks like he is reading from a screen in fact i think he is reading from a screen because why the fuck not bro i wrote it why can't i read it hell yeah I just want everyone to take a minute and let's all look for an inspirational song, put it on, have a moment of silence, and give all our strength and best vibes to one of my best friends, Alex Crannyhorn. He's induced in a coma, and it's fucking driving me crazy. We all can't wait for him to get out of it so we can yell at him. obviously the love is huge and um the concern is bigger pma is everything i had a little scare earlier with my honeybee my boo-boo she had her gallbladder removed but she is a fighter she came out swinging high as a kite on medication trying to jump on beds with stitches it's insane but she's doing good a lot better than I thought she would be by this time. And, uh, man, we need her in our life. So I'm stoked to see her running around like her old self. Look at me. I've been up since 4.30. I go out fucking filming, surfing before the sun's up. I got coffee from the only place in town that's open before 6 a.m., I'm just doing it. I edited it all day. I fucking ran out and jogged. I'll probably hit that Peloton later. I'm a 2022 version of myself. So whatever that means. Whoa, slow it down. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Schmidt, the podcast that Addict Skate Shop in Costa Mesa says is the number one podcast in skateboarding. I think that's being a little generous, bros, but I do appreciate it. Anyway, my name is Schmitty. I'm the host of this thing. And today on the show is Brie Elrod. Recently, my wife and I watched her new movie, Red Rocket, directed by Sean Baker and featuring Simon Rex, a.k.a. 
Dirt Nasty. This film was premiered at the Cannes Film Festival and has received Gotham Award nominations for Best Screenplay, Outstanding Lead Performance, and Breakthrough Performer, among other accolades. Anyway, at one point, I reached out to Trixie and I asked if she had seen the movie. And she said, hell yeah, I loved it. That actress, Brielle Rod, is awesome. You should have her on the show. Well, my people sent out a DM to her people. And the next thing you know, episode 147 was created. Do yourself a favor and go watch this movie, Red Rocket. It's an indie movie and it is cool. It's raw. It's funny. There's sex in it. You know, Trixie did bring Waylon and they did leave the theater and he did say, Mom, it was a good movie, but a little too much sex. (laughs) That's all I got, kids. And now here's our guest. Well, my name is Brie Elrod. I'm originally from Topeka, Kansas. I'm now living in Brooklyn, New York. And you are listening to Talkin' Schmidt. Holy cannoli. It's cool, like tonight is the night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, big dog's in. Do we really want to be here? Oh, everything's changed. We on? Schmitty? Talking Schmidt. Talking Schmidt, dude. <laughs> you gonna come out different. <laughs> shit my pants, man. Your Rolodex is fucking deep. Holy shit. It's about the one. The one. The one. Who is this guy? Thinks he's tough shit. What's up? Come on, Schmitty. What the fuck? Tell the skateboard police to come get me. What is happening? I'm here for Greg Smith. Yeah! Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Talking Schmidt. Today on the show, we have an actress in both theater and in films. She played Lexi, a heroin-addicted former porn star in the critically acclaimed new movie Red Rocket. This is Brie Elrod, kids. How you doing? Hey. <laughs> Are you back in New York? I'm back in New York. Yep. I uh, went back to Kansas for uh, Christmas <clears throat> and shortly after arriving, uh, tested positive for COVID. So ended up getting like spending 10 days riddled with COVID in my childhood bedroom, uh, which was an experience. Uh, basically contemplating all of my life choices, looking at Smurfs that I had as a kid. I mean, it was it was real. Did you lose <laughs> your uh, taste and your smell? No, fortunately I did not, uh, but I did have pretty gnarly congestion and fatigue and body aches and, you know, the whole, it took me out and I'm like double vaxxed and boosted. So I don't, I mean, Jesus, I can't even imagine. No, same here. And uh, you and I, you and I both celebrated New Year's the same way. Oh no. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just, I'm just getting over it. Like I I came out of the house for the first time, like two days ago, I thought I was in Copenhagen in like summer. (laughs) Oh Oh, fuck. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, it's, it's kind of hitting everybody. Like it seems like everyone I talk to either just got it, has it, or is is planning on getting it. Yeah. Especially in New York. (laughs) It feels like there was no escaping it here. It's just so densely populated. Related. I mean, there's just you, if you ride a train or you go out to eat or you go to a bar, I mean, you're going to get it. <laughs> right. Um, so what was it like growing up in Kansas? Um, did you have early aspirations of like, I, I'm a child and I can't wait to be on the screen or like, were you thinking about being an actor at all when you were young? 
Not really. You know, I, I went to like theater camps and I always loved doing it and I would write little plays and, you know, I acted in high school, but I never really as a kid thought, you know, I'm going to grow up and one day be an actor. Um, and even when I was in college, I majored in political science and I was going to go to law school and I was just, that was kind of my path. And then I just started thinking about what I really loved to do and what really made my heart uh, sore and was challenging to me. And I was like, it's really acting. And so then I kind of decided if I was going to be an actor, I wanted to, I needed training because I didn't, I don't know. I just, I hadn't been focusing on it. I wanted to study it more. I'd been, you know, taking international relations. I'd been taking out these political science classes. So I was like, I need to like, I don't know, put some attention towards this. So I auditioned for grad schools and I got into Juilliard and I got into NYU and I was like, uh, okay, cool, cool. This is my path. So I ended up going to NYU for grad acting and, and that's kind of how the path, that's kind of how the path got set for me, I guess. Had you been to New York before you went to grad school? <laughs> One time before on a family trip, um, huh. but not that. And, you know, it's funny because I, I mean, that's got to be culture oh, shock, right? <laughs> it was it was wild. I mean, it was um, I had spent well, I had spent a summer there. I guess that's not true. I did spend a summer there as an intern during co- my last year of college. And I worked with the 52nd Street Project, which is this fucking like amazing organization that takes kids from the Hell's Kitchen area and makes uh, theater with them. And the kids write the plays and professional actors act out the kids' plays. And so the kids sit on stage and watch the, watch the actors. I mean, it's, it's anyway, highly recommend. If it's like the best theater you will see in New York. Like, forget Broadway. Like, I mean, I'm sure Wicked is amazing. But like, <laughs> after you're done seeing Wicked, see if you can find your way into the 52nd Street Project show because it will change your life. Anyway, so I did do a summer in New York. So I had a little bit of experience, but, you know, being in school, you know, being at NYU, being down in the village, I mean, it's, uh, it was definitely a, a shock to the system. <laughs> so by that kind of kick starts, like I turned left and I'm going to keep going straight. Yeah. Like, yep. yeah. Yeah, okay. kind of. I mean, that's kind of what I did. And then, but, you know, life happened and, you know, I ended up moving out of New York right out of school, um, ended up moving to L.A. for a couple of years, you know, did a couple commercials out there, did some Shakespeare. Actually, it's really so funny. I moved to L.A. And one of the things first things that I booked was uh, the Old Globe like a six month contract doing like Shakespeare down there. And I was like, of course I moved to LA. I'm like, yeah, film and television. Oh, Shakespeare. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, so then I, I went down to the old globe and, and then I ended up moving um, to Boston for a while. And, you know, I was in a relationship and so I kind of put that on the priority and then I moved to Kansas city and then my mom got cancer. And so I stayed, you know, with my mom while that was all going down. And then I ended up kind of rediscovering theater in Kansas City. And um, it was kind of from there that I decided I wanted to move back to New York. I was like, I think I'm, I'm ready. I love KC. KC has such a great, I mean, Kansas City is such a cool place. And it's got a great, you know, theater community. But I just was hungry for something different. So, um, right. yeah. So I moved back to New York. Okay. I read that um, Alan Rickman was pretty important in your life. How did uh, he come into your life and, and what happened? Like he was kind of a mentor at one time. Yeah, really. Yeah. He was such a dear friend uh, and I'm, I miss him all the time. And especially as this Red Rockets, uh, you know, journey has happened. I, I wish he was here to see it because I think he would be really 
uh, excited about it. But yeah, I um, I had just been let go from my manager and uh, my my agents because they were just like, we just can't kind of find the path for you. We can't, we don't really know how to cast you. You're just kind of like quirky, but you're also like kind of like, funny but you're not but you're you could you could be the lead but i don't know if you're attractive enough to be you know it's just like you know everything that you don't want to hear about yourself yeah saying you know wow so anyway the point is is that i had been let go i was feeling completely dejected and like well i guess i'm gonna go to law school i guess that's this is the sign of me being like it's time to go to law school and it was around that time that I got an audition uh, from a casting um, director here in New York, uh, David Capriotis, and he's such an amazing guy. And he was like, Brie, I want you to come in for this project. Uh, it's directed by Alan Rickman. It's a one woman's show. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, sure. I'd love to like come in and, you know, audition, like be uncastable in front of Alan Rickman. That sounds like really great. Yeah. And so I was like, fine. I mean, I really had nothing to lose. So I worked really hard on it and I went in for it. And pretty much like after my first read, Alan was just like, I get you. <laughs> you know, he was just like, Brie. Um, and then yeah, wow, that cool. started kind of the beginning of our, of our working together. And so basically my brother, who was also an actor, he was like, wait, let me get this straight. So when you go to rehearsal, it's just like you and Alan Rickman, like in a room, because it was a one woman show. I was like, yeah, pretty much. I was like, and the stage manager and, uh, well, you know, but it was, it was such a beautiful and life-changing experience. And, you know, and he would like uh, take me out for notes afterwards, you know, he'd be like, can I buy you some spaghetti and read, mm. you know, and, and tell you my notes from the show. And I'm like, yep, that's great. And yeah. then after that, we became just really close. And so whenever he was in New York, I was still in Boston at the time I would come up and see him. And he's like, I'm going to be in New York for the weekend. Um, love to see you. So I'd get on a bus and we'd have dinner or we'd have brunch at Balthazar and we would just talk. And, and then um, when I played a, a show of like original songs, like he came to see it, like it was after one of his plays and he came down to um, the living room in New York at the time, the Googies and, and was he brought a friend of his and it was just so funny to like have him sitting there watching me, you know, play songs. And, you know, he just became a really good friend. And um, the last oh. time I saw him was when he took the train out to Jersey to see me in a play. And uh, he he just he's a wonderful human. And I am forever changed by his presence in my life. Mm. Those are the ones like having those special people that kind of just took you under their wing. And like in the moment, you're kind of like, this is what it's supposed to be because, you know, no different. But then when right. you look back and reflect, you're like, that was so special. Jesus totally. Christ. No, yeah. I know. I think that all the time, like in the moment I knew at the moment, like, you know, of course, because it's fucking Alan Rickman, you know, like you're like, you're sitting <laughs> yeah. at Balthazar and like somebody comes up and is like, Oh my God, are you Alan Rickman? And he's like, not right now. <laughs> you know, or like, you know, or like, you know, they're like, are you Snape? And he was like, no, no. Okay. <laughs> you know, he, it just is, um, you know, he, so I knew at the time that he was like a, a wonderful sure. And, and just incredible person, but you're right. Like looking back, it means so much more. Um, mm. and, I just kind of mean more so like the, the moments that like, obviously it's a big deal with him, but like I've had people die in my life where I look back, I'm like that one car drive we took where he was talking to me. Yes. 
Yes. He wanted that in my brain. Yes. Like, and yes. I was just like that. Ah. Totally. I know, I know. Totally. Totally. I have, I have had several of those moments where I'm like, oh my God, remember that? Yeah, no, you're right. You're so right. Yeah. yeah. So it was, so then um, IMDB says Shutter Island. Oh, yeah. So then when I was in Boston, I was doing uh, Angels in America. I was playing Harper and the casting directors from fucking like Shutter Island happened to come see the play. I don't know why. Maybe they were. I mean, I maybe that was like casting. I have no idea. But anyway, they were there and they came up to me after the show and they were like, we think you would be a really great mental patient. And I was like, oh, thank you. That's really <laughs> sweet. My parents would be so proud. Um, so then I was like, okay, I'll do that. And so basically I didn't really know what it was entailing. Of course, I didn't have an agent. So it was just like basically a glorified extra. But then during the process of the filming, I ended up kind of befriending you know, Marty and like, we ended up chatting and there'd be like, we kind of had this playful banter throughout the whole thing. And like, there was a scene where there were some razor blades down there and he's like, don't put the razor blades by Bree. She's going to kill us. You know, like, I mean, he was just, we ended up like kind of having this really sweet little connection. And there were several moments where he was, um, you know, like somebody that there was a scene where I was behind Mark Ruffalo and Leonardo DiCaprio, and they were like having this big, intense conversation. And I'm like rock rocking full of insane thoughts behind them. And, you know, um, and I remember after that scene, they kept shifting them. And after the scene, um, one of the people from Video Village came up to me and was like, I just want to let you know that back there, Marty was like, can you tell Leo to move over? I can't see Bree. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, step aside, right. Leo. Step Come aside, on. Leo. You're blocking my Bree. view over here. <laughs> You're blocking. And listen, I know it's totally for the shot, but still, <laughs> but still, it made me feel like, oh, that's funny. But the point is, is that it ended up being a really interesting process. It was, you know, all done at a fucking like former mental institution outside of Boston. So it was creepy oh. as hell. I mean, it was really creepy. Um. And it was dark and it was always filmed like after it seemed like after midnight, I'm sure it wasn't, but it, it, it was just um, a really interesting experience. But it, towards the end, Marty and his assistant AD like came up to me and were like, you know, listen, we didn't know you. We didn't know what you could do. We didn't, we were totally underused. Um, can we give you a name so that that way you'll be credited. It will be on IMDb and you'll get residuals. And I was like, yeah, thank you. You know? So like, it was really a very awesome, benevolent thing for them to do. So, you know, now every once in a while, I'll get a check that's like $20. It's like, oh, people in Germany are really loving Shutter Island this month. You know, it's like. <laughs> um, oh, wow, man, it, that's the that, pinnacle. I know. It really was like, it really was special because they could have, I mean, they have so much that they're focusing on. There's so much writing on that movie because it's, you know, it's such a high budget. They didn't have to do that at all. They could have just been like, Hey, Brie, thanks for your time. But the fact that they gave me a name, which is like female patient, you know, if you look it up on IMDb, it says female patient, oh. but that's it because they really just were like, we just want to give you something so that it, it really was awesome. So anyway, that was my experience with Shutter Island. Wow. That's amazing. Just Forever having grateful. that, like that early experience with one of, if not the greatest, know. you know, Scorsese, like, uh, I mean, you raise the bar high and then it's like, does that help you kind of have confidence in other roles and stuff? Like I know Marty. <laughs> <laughs> I, w I wish I wish yeah. um, it's still I mean, nerve wracking. It's, of course. I mean, because, yeah. you know, my my role in that was so small. I mean, I did have a really good time getting to know him, but it's not like 
you know, uh, I, 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 and I did get to watch him work, which was so exciting to like right. watch him direct Leonardo and watch him direct Mark Ruffalo and watch people around him be like, we, you know, how should we move this? So I definitely felt like it was such a learning experience, but I don't feel like I went into anything else being like, well, I worked with Marty, so I can work with any, you know? I was, <laughs> yeah. I, I know. That was well, great. well, let's talk about Red Rocket. Um, yeah, yeah. How did the whole thing come up for you? Like, it was filmed on, in the COVID era, right? During the pandemic? Yes. Like right smack in the middle. Like, like it's, it started after or it started and then the pandemic started? Um, it started after. I mean, we started filming after the pandemic was underway. Oh, wow. So like uh, I was in a play in Portland, Oregon. I was doing a play there that had shuttered due to COVID. And they had said, oh, it's just going to be like two weeks and then we'll break it back. <laughs> um, but so I, you know, I ended up staying out in Portland for a while and um, like just kind of on the hopes that it was going to come back. And I was like, OK, I'm, I'm back in it. Um, and then, you know, things got worse and it got terrible. And I was having all these existential artist questions that I have usually. But <laughs> this time you add a global pandemic on top of it. And I'm like. Are, are we ever going to be able to gather again, like in a community to watch art? Are we going to be able to like, you know, I it really was such a dark time. And it was during that time that I got a call from my dear friend, Samantha Kwan, and she is a producer on the film, an amazing actor herself, um, an actor, acting coach on the film too. And she's also partnered with Sean uh, Baker. And so she said, Hey, uh, Brie, you know, we were about to, we were going to film this movie in Canada and it was like, it had all of these crowd scenes in it and they were like, we can't do this. And so of course the word of the pandemic is pivot. So they're like, we're happening to pivot. Um, we're going to start working on this. We really want to start working on this kind of low budget, um, passion project of Sean's that is kind of an offshoot of one of his earlier films, Starlet. Um, which is a film that is about a young woman who moves to LA and gets involved in the porn industry. And there's a character in that who's Mikey, who um, Sean was fascinated by meeting a lot of the men in the industry and getting stories from them. And, and so he wanted to explore that further. And so anyway, she said, you know, I just really thought of you for this role. And I just, I would love for you to, you know, put yourself on tape for this. And so they gave me a monologue that was not from the movie. It was from something else. And so then I just like worked it up and put myself on tape and, you know, submitted it a couple of days later. And then, uh, you know, a couple hours after I submitted it, Sam was like, like yeah, yeah, Sean, Sean was watching it and was like, that's, that's Lexi you know, that that's Lexi. And so he submitted it to the other producers to kind of get, you know, there, but it, it really just happened that way. And um, then it was kind of trying to figure out if that was actually really going to happen. You know, one of those like, well, okay now, but it's still a fucking pandemic. Like, how are we going to do this? Like, yeah. Um, safely. And honestly, I have to say like one of the coolest things about this is the fact that it was actually even made. So like the whole, this whole year has been so beautiful <laughs> and like the icing on the cake, because I can't even believe the cake made it to the fucking oven, you know? So like, I, I just, it's been amazing. So, so there were so many things against us and, you know, we were doing COVID tests every day. We had a very right. small crew. I mean, I have a picture on my Instagram that's like of basically the entire, and it's like, you know, 10 people. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. It was a very small cast and crew. So, so the, the film was um, 
filmed in Texas. Yep. Did you drive down from Portland? Yeah. Well, so then as soon as I found out it was actually happening, I was like, oh, this is happening. Okay. I got to get back to New York. So I flew back to New York in the middle of the pandemic, double mask, full face shield, (laughs) trying not to breathe. Stormtrooper. Seriously. I basically like stopped drinking liquids. I think an hour before my flight, because I was like, I had read somewhere that the bathrooms were like the places where people were getting it. Like it was like somehow COVID was just hanging out in the bathrooms on the plane. So I was like, well, fuck that. I'm not going to pee. So I was like, (laughs) so I basically got on the plane and like just held my breath and my pee until New York city. And then I got off the plane and like, really, I mean, my friends were like, maybe you should wear a diaper. I was like, maybe I should. Anyway, point is (laughs) I made it back to New York and then uh, myself and Chi Ching, who is another producer in the film who also plays the donut shop owner. um, She, uh, she's just amazing. And she's worked with Sean many times and she's a filmmaker and uh She's just great. She and I drove down to Texas together. So we uh, bonded over many, many hours on the open road down to Texas. And as we were coming down from New York, Simon was coming in from LA. Susie was coming in from LA. And then the rest of the actors were all locally cast. And did you have prior relations with these people? Like, did you know Simon or Susanna or any of them? No, yet? no not so at all. So it's like, we're in a pandemic. I'm going to go be with in a bubble with some people I've never met <laughs> yes. before. And who knows? We might film a movie. Yep. Yep. That, exactly. Exactly. Again, it is amazing that this cake was baked because it oh is. Oh, my God. Honestly, we were just I mean, and this is like the most people I had seen, you know, in months, you know, and then suddenly I'm like, well, I guess this is my family. And I mean, we were trying to be really careful and, you know, but it was, yeah, it was precarious. And in that stage, it was like, like you said, there were so many things that were like, we don't know. Like, it was kind of like when people were like, oh, you can get AIDS from sitting right. on a toilet or something. Right. You're exactly. like, wait, what? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Yeah. It was. I mean, hand sanitizer all the time. And like, and, you know, whenever we weren't filming, they were really honest to put the masks back on, even, you know, okay. had, even though we had been like, you know, testing and everything, but all the entire crew was wearing masks the entire time. I mean, it was we were trying to be as careful as we could be. And fortunately, luckily, none of us got it back then. So it's great. And then so when you were driving down there, you knew what you were cast as, right? You were going to be playing a drug addicted porn star, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there pre pro in your mind? Are you doing research? Are you like, interviewing people or is what what's the process for you to get ready for this role um i did a lot of research you know i watched some porn documentaries i watched porn i had to (laughs) watch porn for months i had to watch so much porn (laughs) it was um you know really really hard taxing Um, um, very taxing (laughs) there's a lot of things that i can't unsee in my brain now um no i but i did i honestly did and then um I watched the this man. I can't remember his name. He's so good. He does this uh, series in LA called The Soft White Underbelly on YouTube. And it's mm. interviews with um, people on the streets of LA. And um, it's like sex workers, uh, addicts, um, homeless people, people who are down and out. And I really just wanted to listen to their stories to kind of hear what they were experiencing and, you know, how they were negotiating being an addict or how they were negotiating being in the sex work industry. And 
And mm-hmm. I have a friend who works with sex workers in Brazil and I've always, you know, found it a noble profession and um, something that was kind of this dirty little secret, but yet makes millions of dollars in this country. And I, I've always just kind of uh, respected people who are at work in the industry. And so I really was trying hard to learn as much as I could so that I could, you know, do Lexi justice and not try to do some kind of like a stereotyped, um, you know, image of, you know, or a kind of uh, calculation of what I thought. I just wanted her to be a fully fleshed out human who had some, you know, hopes and dreams and who made some choices and was now on the path she was on. Right. That's uh did you ever have um, experience in your own life with addiction or some friend or like had to live through some of these, um, you know, addict problems that get, can get so dark? I've certainly known people who have struggled with addiction. Um, and this year I lost someone who is very close to me um, from addiction. And, you know, so it, it has affected my life. I wouldn't say that it's been something that I personally have uh, struggled with, but um, I certainly can sympathize with the people who are uh, in that world. And some people that we met in Texas City were also struggling. Um, and so hearing their stories and and I think it was very important for Sean um, to point out one of the lines that Lexi has uh, is after Mikey sees them uh, chasing the dragon in the backyard. He says something like, you know, like great life choices, guys, or whatever. And Lexi comes in and says uh, they cut her pain meds in half, you know, because um, he wanted people to make the connection uh, to the opioid crisis in this country and right. that a lot of people get into addiction because of pain medication, because they're in chronic and constant pain and their uh, pain medication is cut off and they find their way to heroin or another substance. And that sometimes it's the only way people can find relief from, you know, crippling pain in their life. So um, I thought that Sean was very sensitive to that. Yeah. I was going to say from my perspective, it's like, a really raw look at this. And I think being an independent film gives you the opportunity to not Holly weird it up and get it, make it cheesy or nothing. It can really feel like, Oh, ouch. Like this, it it felt so raw and good. Like that. This is the way it should be portrayed. Oh, good. Yeah. I think, I think that was really important to Sean. Um, everything about the world and the way it was portrayed. And, uh, you know, I, I think one of our, one of the most moving comments I, I uh, heard during the, the festival circuit this last year was at a Q and a in Memphis. Some, a man stood up and said, this is my community. These are people that I grew up with and I, I don't get to see them on a screen. And it really was <clears throat> like very, um, it, it made me happy to see people represented in a very raw way. That's not pretty or it's not, um, but it feel, it felt real. And I think that that was like something that's very important to Sean. Um, he was really mindful of that and he didn't want it to be some kind of like poverty porn kind of Hollywood. Like this is what, you know, Southern Texas people are like, he just wanted them to be real people, you know, a fictionalized world, but real people. Right. Oh, okay. Is there anything, do you have to like do special gym work or anything to get your body into a certain look for this type of role? 
No, I mean, I, fortunately, my, my genetics are such that um, my mom gave me some really nice arms. Um, so, <laughs> um, but I definitely will say that when I found out that I had to be uh, practically naked for, or naked, basically, um, I did up my gym game. <laughs> but, mm. I mean, at the time though, gyms weren't open. So I was like, kind of like Rocky Balboa um, going out into the parks and like doing like um, push-ups on park benches. And I'm not kidding you. I'm like, I have three friends and we were doing like park workouts. So I will say that I did up my game a little bit, but I, I didn't, you know, I, I, I wish, I mean, honestly, I wish I could have like hired a personal trainer to be like, yeah, I'm going to get ripped. But I, I just, <laughs> I couldn't afford that. And when I found out it was happening, I had like two months. So I was like, ah, I gotta go. Right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's, that's what I did. Um, personally, like from a personal perspective, what do you think it is that, um, draws us to these toxic relationships? Is it like the mother instinct in us that like, we can fix it? Like, or like nurse, like I'm, I need the help. Like, why are we drawn to these, like, you know, disasters kind of a lot of times? Do you mean drawn as in like personally people, why are they we drawn to be in them or why are we drawn to watching people? No, no, like the character, like being okay. drawn to Mikey and letting him back, oh, sure, even sure. though like, man, I hate you, but I kind of love <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I mean, at least I definitely know people who are drawn to uh, drama. <laughs> You know, I think that there are certain people who have a natural affinity to because you you have this like, well, why don't you just break up with this person? This person is bringing so much, but there's obviously some need being met somewhere. And so I think that there the thing with Lexi and Mikey is they have a familiarity. You know, when you grow up with someone like, you know, they're definitely I had a friend who was in a relationship with someone in high school who was completely toxic for her. But at the time, it was like you didn't really know. And like they somehow just kind of worked. And and so I think that's kind of with Lexi. There's something about Mikey that she's like, oh, I hate this. But also it feels like home, you know, and I I don't know why uh, that happens. But other than I think think there's just something about that person. And it also is what creates the insane chemistry. I mean, there's like this kind of like chemical thing when you see this person where you're like, oh, I hate you, but I also really want to fuck you. <laughs> you know, it's like, I think that that exists uh, in a lot of relationships. And I think theirs is just yeah. one that you're just like, and I hope what people see is like, what the hell? Oh, I get it. I guess, <laughs> you know, that's kind of what I hope is that like people are like, oh, Lexi, what are you? Oh, ah, okay. I can see this, you know? Right. Okay. I guess that. What some things could you share like a uh, quick uh, something that you took away after this whole experience and, and you're continuing probably to travel with them, promoting them a little bit, but like from Susanna, like something that you learned about her or that a story or something that you loved that you've like, oh man, that was great. Um. I mean, with, well, with, I mean, each, everyone in the movie, I have like a specific, like fun memory of, and with Susie, I mean, we didn't have any scenes together really, except for that one donut shop scene. And so we hung out a few times in Texas and Susie had Simon and I over and made us this like really good lasagna and it was so much fun. And we just kind of bonded and laughed and, you know, it was I, I was lucky that we got a chance to like spend a little bit of time together, but it really wasn't until I saw the film that we both were able to be like, Oh my God, that's what you were doing the whole time. That's what you were doing the whole time. <laughs> um, 
And, you know, seeing her, you know, play that song that I knew she was working so hard on um, and seeing it on the screen, because I, I hadn't heard her practicing or anything and seeing it on the screen, I was just blown away. I mean, my eyes are just like filling with tears. I was so I was so proud of her for being so vulnerable and so you know, cause that was filmed maybe like the second day of shooting or something like oh. that was not like, okay, we all have gotten to know each other and now it's time to strip down. I mean, like, it was really like, we have to film this now. We have this house for this day. Let's do this. You know? And I, I just oh. was so, Susie was so brave and, you know, I, I really, but, but that, you know, and then with Brenda, the woman who plays my mom, I mean, yeah. So many moments that are just like etched into my memory. She is like gold. And, (laughs) um, you know, in between takes, she was just talking about all these different stories. And like, I'll never forget the moment where like Simon walked out like naked and like (laughs) her seeing, reacting to it. Like, cause they were like, okay, now Simon's going to like walk in and not have any. And she's like, okay, well, I've seen some cocks. I'm okay. You know, I'm like, I mean, I was just like, oh my God, this is so amazing. amazing. You know, and she just was like, added so much to the experience. And I mean, and Brit was so cool. I loved hanging out with Brit who plays June. And I mean, it just, I feel like there are so many beautiful moments. Mm. I mean, I mean, of course it was hard work. I mean, it, this was not an easy shoot. It was not like, oh, this is just, no. I mean, it was really hard, but there were so many moments that had so much levity and joy and heart in them that I will forever hold close with me as I move into the next you know, chapter of my life. My wife and I really loved the, uh, the part where Mikey's taking credit for all his best oral scenes. <laughs> He's like, what? I got it. I got it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. He's like, I'm basically pushing her head on me. Like, Oh, my God. Well, and that's like a that was taken from an actual conversation that Sean had with with oh. the male with a, a an adult film star who said that. So oh, that's man. like pretty much almost verbatim from someone that he knows. So, yeah. <laughs> and now another first impression from the director of Red Rocket. Sean Baker. So Brie Elrod was suggested to me by my wife and producer, Samantha Kwan, who told me that Brie Elrod was the best actor she had ever met in her life. (laughs) I was incredibly intrigued by that. I asked Brie to do a self-tape for me. I did not have a script at that point, so she chose the Arlie monologue from Marsha Norman's Getting Out, and I could tell in 30 seconds of watching this self-tape that she had what I needed. Um, And I was incredibly impressed. But uh, what's more important is that Every day, every scene, every hour she delivered and impressed, continuously impressed me. Her instincts are on point. She is incredibly funny. Uh, She has such range. And I consider myself blessed to have worked with her and look forward to working with her in the future. I am giving away a free skateboard deck. Slave Warpig. All you got to do is make a post, photo, a video clip, anything you love, a Danny DeCola. Post Danny DeCola on your Instagram. You can even write Danny DeCola, screen grab it, put post that in there. The most important part is hashtag in your caption, win a war pig. That's hashtag win a war pig. And you will 
have a chance to win that deck. So these are the kind of emails I get from my father-in-law. Right now, I have a batch of jerky in the dryer. The packets you gave me were for five pounds of meat each. The best I could do was three pounds. When Cheryl drops off the honeybee, I'll be sending 0.006 pounds with her, enough for five minutes of enjoyment. Take care, Al. Looks like I got uh, five minutes of jerky time on the airplane out to Hawaii. You're, uh, there was a handful of people that they actually brought in just local people that had never acted before to be like extras in parts of the movie. Yes. Yeah. They were amazing. I mean, they all, everybody was so game and everyone was just so open. And I am like still completely in awe of the performances that all of them did. I mean, like Ethan, you know, is a cook at a restaurant and, you know, Sean found him, and he, you know, has a very large role in this film. I mean, he plays like the neighbor best friend. And I mean, he's he's so good. And, and that Brit, was his first role. That was his first role. Wow. And Britt, who plays June, that was her first role. Uh, Brenda, who plays my mom, that's her first role. I mean, everyone oh. was so I mean, yeah, Brenda was found outside of a porta potty. Um, <laughs> Sean oh had to use a porta potty outside of the refinery. And her truck had um, like died. And so she was standing outside of the porta potty, like with a cigarette and was kind of like, can you help me jump my truck? <laughs> and Sean's like, do you want to be in a film? Um, wow. And she's That's my mom, cool. you know? So like, I, I it just That's kind of amazing. was serendipitous. I mean, the way that things, I mean, and then of course, like the ultimate Hollywood story where Sean sees Susie across the way at the arc light, you know, he just was going to see a movie and Susie was like walking in the doors. He and Sam are walking out and he was like, uh, she's got something that's, you know, in really special. And she does. And he went up to her and was like, I'm Sean Baker. I did the Florida project. You know, I'd love to you. And that was two years before this. I mean, so that was like, he just knew he wanted her in something. He didn't know what, um, and then, you know, this ended up happening and she's freaking brilliant, you know? So, um, it That's really nice. is kind of a marriage of, uh, you know, experience levels. And I mean, I would say Simon has the most experience, uh, out of all of us. He has the most film credits, the most like, you know, he was the one who was constantly reminding me like, Brie, this is like such a really cool experience because we're being able to, we're, we're improvising on film. Like this is being shot on film. This is expensive. Like, this is not like, oh, you can do as many takes as you want. We'll do 500, whatever, till we get it right. I mean, this is film. So yeah. really it was a, it, it, it required a certain concentration and a certain, because we couldn't do a million takes. So, right. Uh, yeah, it was great. Huh. Did you have to hear a lot about um, Scary Movie 3? What would you hear more about, Scary Movie 3 or Dirt Nasty? Dirt Nasty. <laughs> Says she only like white boys with steeds. Don't I know you from MTV? That's me. You seen Scary Movie 3? She said, nah. Then we went to 
funny. Oh, it's so funny because I, you know, I, I had not seen, I don't know if I still to this day, I'm like, have I seen Scary Movie Freak? Like, I did <laughs> not know who Simon Rex was and, you know, until I like Googled him and was like, oh, okay. I know that guy, you know? Uh, um, and then Dirt Nasty, I was like, oh, Mickey Avalon. Okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay. Um, but it was funny because some of the people in the film were huge fans, you know, so they knew who he was and were like very like excited to work with him. And like, I just was kind of like, well, I hope we can, I hope we have some chemistry. I hope we can figure this out together, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but he was great. I mean, I, I think it would be amazing to be in a bubble lockdown with this crew. It seems like a lot of fun when you're not oh having to focus and yes. be serious. A yes. lot of like playing around, yes. not taking yes. themselves serious and yes. no prima donnas probably. It's like, Oh my yeah. God. No. I mean, everyone was so open and game and we'd have to switch things on an instant and be like, well, we can't film this because we don't know this person actually has to go to their job at the refinery or this person has to do this. We have to completely revamp the schedule and everyone was and Simon, especially, I mean, because he was the lead was just so, you know, created an atmosphere that was so just like open and like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. Oh, we're going to do that. Cool. We'll do that. You know, he just was, uh, so playful and willing to roll that he kind of set the tone for the entire project. Yeah. Nice. Um, so good. Uh, I gotta ask you're super close with your mom. One of the first things I'm thinking is like, is it awkward or weird to like, she's going to come to the premiere, see this movie. Like, do you explain it or do you just kind of sit back and watch her and see how her reaction is? Like, (laughs) that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I actually was going to invite her to come with me to Cannes, but that was like the premiere. And, you know, I remember my friend being like, do you really want to be sitting next to your mom while you're getting railed from behind (laughs) at the premiere of the world premiere of this movie? And I was like, yeah, good point. I was like, mom, I love you. I'd love for you to come to France, but we're going to have to, we're going to have to wait on this. Um, and I, so I've told her a little bit about it. And of course she's read all the reviews and stuff. <clears throat> I am really not interested in going to a theater to see this with my mom or my dad. Um, I'm going to let them like have their own experience of it. Um, that said, I did have a special screening. Um, and my brother, who's one of my best friends came to see it. And, uh, he said that, and then, and then he saw it a second time at the New York uh, film festival. And that's what tons of people. And it was like, it's such a different energy because watching this with a lot of people, like you just, you get it, you feed off of it. And he said during those scenes, he was just like, Oh, the, the ceiling of this place is never noticed how the ceiling looks. You know, you just was like, I'm not going to look at the screen at that time. So, um, yeah. So I just, I think that the people who see it are just, you know, have to kind of be like, well, that is the role that she is playing. Right. Huh. I told my friend Trixie that I was going to interview oh, you yes. and she actually kind of lined this whole thing up in my mind. She's like, you should reach out. Cause we both saw the movie almost the same week. And, uh, she had a couple of questions that are kind of regarding that. And she, they're both similar. One is cool. how awkward are those scenes? And is it more awkward for someone to get aroused during it or not to get aroused? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, and, that's a good and, question. And then the other one is, have you ever had to draw a line like in an acting job where, where it maybe was too, more than you, you were too uncomfortable or something like that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, 
because there's a very specific part of your brain that knows that you are, you know, this is pretend land. This is you are acting. I think that even though your job is to convince your body that you are in those that place, which of course will create natural arousement. It's like when you go and get a massage and, you know, it's like, oh God, someone's touching me. And so I'm feeling things, whatever, like sometimes that happens. So it's like a natural human thing. But I think that the, the challenge and the skill of an actor or what your job is, is to kind of try to ride the line where you're overriding some of those, but also in the moment, you know? And so I would not say that, you know, I mean, I can't speak to Simon, but, you know, I, I think that we both were, tr- were very professional and we both were trying to be very mindful of each other's feelings and like, you know, and, and, and our scenes also were so um, playful and um, animated that uh, it was less of, uh, you know, slowly taking each other's clothes off and having these moments, you know, it was more just like we're in it um, mid scene kind of uh, moments. And so we, we were, they were all talked about in depth before we entered into those. And Sean, you know, largely the, the goal is to tell a story. So like, how does the scene in which we're in uh, t- further the story for Lexi and further the story for Mikey? And so I, I think we were very like kind of on the same page about that. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, I haven't done a ton of film and, and I haven't done a ton of like scenes like that in film. So I can't really say much about that. I, I was, I did a play once and there was like a scene in the play in which there was kind of a simulated rape and I didn't feel that we had talked about it enough. And I felt like the director was kind of just like, Oh, just go, you know, feel it out, you know? And and I think that's the problem that we're running into right now, which is why there are intimacy uh, coaches and intimacy coordinator coordinators on sets and for, um, you know, television and for plays right now. So that, Mm there is a safer environment. So it doesn't feel like just like, Oh, go improvise. It's kind of like, are you comfortable if I touched you here? Are you comfortable with this? Because uh, it is touchy and it can be triggering if you've had any kind of like a history of sexual assault or, um, you know, I, I think that it's a delicate uh, balance. And so I do think that it's important if actors can speak up um, if they're uncomfortable, you know, it's ideal, but sometimes people don't. So that's why it's nice to have a, a coach who can be like, I will speak up for you. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I didn't think about that, but having so many people involved in cameras and stuff, like maybe that helps just kind of know yes. that this is a role and like, yeah. I, I'm not really excited, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and like I don't, a- I mean, I think it would be like, <clears throat> I mean, yeah, it's not a porn. Like the, the role, this is not to show a certain thing. It'd be one thing if it's like, you know, if the script said we see his erect, you know, it'd be like, okay, yeah. well, that's a different thing. But like, this was, that wasn't the story we were trying to tell. So I think we both were like, what are we trying to, what's the story? It's that they're in this and, um, you know, and we just are trying to, yeah, tell the story. <laughs> right. No. Um what do you think you're more comfortable on the stage or behind the camera? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I mean, naturally I've done more theaters. So I, I feel, you know, I, I know that process more. I know the whole like sitting at a rehearsal table and then getting up on your feet and then doing the blocking and then sharing a story linearly, you know, um, in a very linear fashion all the way through. Um, film is more chaotic and a little bit more unpredictable and a little bit more 
oh, we're filming the end of the movie on day two and we're filming the middle of the movie, you know? Um, and I kind of, I, I really am drawn to that uh, unpredictability. And for me, I think one of my biggest notes, I think as a, as a theater actor has been fill the room, breathe, like go to the back of the house. Cause I have a tendency to play a little small. Um, and I think that helps me for film uh, because with film, you're able to just be, you know, you're mic'd most of the time. So you're just able to just talk like this. Like, I'm just talking to you. You know, it's like, you don't have to, whereas uh, when you're on the stage, you can't do that unless you're in a black box theater. You have to use your your diaphragm. Your, you have to use your instrument in a completely different way. So it is like filling the back of the house. You have to, you know, and even if you're mic'd, you still have to be supported. Whereas I think with this, you know, it's like that intimate scene with Mikey and Lexi in the bed. I could, I didn't have to worry about projecting so that, you know, the people in the back would hear me. They need to be able to hear about my son, you know, like, no, I could actually just talk like this. And, you know, ah. so I kind of enjoy the freedom of not having to negotiate the, um, uh, the physicality of what it takes to be a theater actor. Um, but I, you know, of course I, I love theater. So yeah, I like them both. Uh, what would you say? Tell you ride or cans? Oh, geez. You know, how oh, do I have to pick? <laughs> um, I mean, cans was like just an, like a dream. I mean, it was honestly like so surreal because it's a French Riviera and our movie premiered on Bastille Day. So it was like fireworks were going off that night. We had champagne and uh, Spike Lee stood up after our <laughs> film and was like, good job, guys. And it was like, oh my God, Spike Lee is saying that he loves our film. Like, I mean, so like, I mean, can't, but okay. um, Telluride <laughs> was awesome because Telluride is so beautiful and laid back and it takes so long to get there. It's hard to get to. And everyone, you know, it's like walking around and there's like Benedict Cumberbatch, like in a straw hat, just walking down the street. You know what I mean? So it just feels like very, it's less, I don't want to say pretentious because I didn't feel like can was stuffy, but it just has a more laid back Colorado, like mountain vibe. And I know I grew up in Kansas. And so like I grew up going to Colorado for spring breaks and stuff. So I love Colorado. So I don't know. I, I'd say they're two different experiences completely, but there is something beautiful about Telluride and like the, the venues, like one of the venues is outside. And so you're watching this new film and there's just stars all around and the shadowed mountains. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. So yeah. Yeah. Both, both are magical. Huh? Magical. Uh, I know you're, I well, I don't know this, but I looked on your Instagram and you tend to have cowboy hats on occasionally. I'm wondering <laughs> Cowboy boots or heels? Cowboy boots. Cowboy yeah. boots. Yeah. I mean, I just like, uh, I like the way I, I, I like, I like walking in them. I like the way they make me walk. I like, I like the sound of a cowboy boot. I like the way they look peeking out from jeans or under a dress. I just, yeah, there's something. And I have, I love my red cowboy boots. I found a pair of red cowboy boots that happened to be in my size at a Kansas city thrift store or antique mall years ago. And to me, they are my Ruby slippers. That's what I call them. Are, is there any roles that have come out of this that like people are hitting you up now since this performance that were like, uh, you know, opportunities? Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things that came out of this is I ended up getting uh, a manager, 
uh, two managers that are fantastic with anonymous content and they are such an incredible um, company. And right now they've been getting me lots of great opportunities. Um, and I went and filmed a, a couple of days on a, a, a new Rachel Lambert film with Daisy Ridley as the lead um, in Oregon. So there's definitely been more opportunities coming my way since this, which has been really, really wonderful. Um, grateful. Okay. Management calls you. They're like, what? is your ideal location and your dream role. What is, what is going to get me the bonus I've been waiting for? Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. They're like, what's going to get us paid? Um, <laughs> um, oh, man, that's really good. I mean, I almost, God, that's really good. I know I'm trying to think. I'm like, I, I, my brain is naturally going to kind of like darker places, like some kind of freaking like civil war, <laughs> like, you know, um, but also maybe like a, a little uh, Coen Brothers kind of thing going on. Uh. Like something, I could see that kind of world, playing within one of those worlds would be very uh, fun, I think. Um, interesting. Or, you know, a Wes Anderson or a P.T. Anderson. I mean, I, uh. I feel like that would be, those would be fun worlds to explore. Sure. Is there an early on movie that you use as like your godfather or, whatever raging bull or something that was just oh. like this is like if someone asked you for your favorite movie that's such a tough question but if there was one that kind of shook you and helped you understand that like this is an epic you know oh god there's so many but you know i actually just saw raging bull this year and i loved it i i mean i was just blown so, away by that um i mean I there. I mean, God, there's so many. I, I mean, recently I, I talked with some people about uh, Paper Moon um, huh. with uh, Tatum O'Neill and Ryan O'Neill. And it's such a beautiful movie filmed in the 70s, Madeline Kahn. Tatum O'Neill won an Oscar for it. She plays this badass little kid from Kansas who's like, uh, you know, hawking Bibles and making money. And th there's something really special about that film. Um, I know there's so many that I'm like, but you know, there's so many that I'm not remembering right now, but I, I just, I am, I'm drawn to, uh, I'm, I'm drawn to more interesting kind of out there films. Okay. Um, but yeah. So well, I had, um, no experience with Broadway or, or plays or anything. And then I got married and my wife is really into it. So uh -huh. I had, I had the fortunate, I think my first play was Amelie. My second play was Hamilton. Oh my god! I mean, can you top that? What's what? Oh <laughs> where where do my, I go from here? <laughs> my friend uh, Pippa Sue was Amelie. She's uh, well, and she was also in Hamilton. But I yeah. met her oh, after the it? after the play. She came out and we took photos oh, together. Oh, yeah, she rules. Oh, she's so awesome. Yeah, we were in a play together and she's such a she's such a peach. I love Pippa. Uh, oh, that's so fun. You got to see her. I saw Amelie too. She's wonderful. She's uh, so wonderful. Is there one like that? I mean, is there something in that uh, category that like a Hamilton was like of our oh, era, God, the creme de la crop? But like I hear a lot about earlier ones. Is there one that you're like, you need to see this one? I mean, I'm trying to think. I mean, yeah, there's oh God, there's so many, but I haven't, you know, I haven't been to the theater in a long time. I mean, my brother was just in a show off Broadway that was really funny. And um, but I haven't been to like a Broadway show in a while. But um, 
I would say Hades Town or Hades Town is uh, wonderful. So so good and dark and beautiful, and I really like Hades Town. Um, and yeah, that's all I can kind of. Oh, and To Kill a Mockingbird, of course. Um, I saw uh, with Jeff Bridges, but I know that they, I think it, I don't. I don't know who's in it now. I know Ed Harris was in it for a while. It's, uh, that's phenomenal. I mean, um, you know, uh, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff out there now. I just hope they can make it through the rest of this nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be interesting. That's for sure. We're, we've postponed our honeymoon three times. So oh, we're, we're hoping for February. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Oh, my God. I, I have to thank you so much uh, for taking the time. It's been really fun. Oh, God, thank you. Uh, I, Thanks I for love, having me. Yeah, I'm guessing you guys are going to be at the Oscars, I'm hoping. Um, what would what would something like that mean to all of you? Would it is it kind of like, is it? I think so. Or is it going to be a big surprise to you if it happens? Or what are you thinking? You know, I think it would be a little bit of both. I think it would be a bit of a holy shit. Like, oh, my God. Um, the, the movie's getting so much acclaim. Yeah. Like uh, Simon is getting like so much attention in like big name magazines. And, uh, yeah. you know, everyone keeps talking about the director. And like, it just seems like it's it could be on the uh, at least nominee. <laughs> You know, there's so much that goes into it. And I guess I didn't realize until being in this film that there are people like you run campaigns for things, you know, like for Oscars, like it's not just a simple like, oh, like people campaign to be considered. So like uh, there's a lot that goes into it behind the scenes. So I'm, you know, we'll we'll see. I, I would love for it to get you know, recognition on that level, but also know that no matter what, we have created something really special that even if it's not recognized by the Academy, I still think it's a, a gorgeous piece of art that people should see. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, and of course I would love for Simon, uh, I, you know, it's funny, he won the LA Critics Circle Award um, you know, just like for best actor. And it was a huge deal. And I remember it said like runner up Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> just was like, <laughs> Oh my God. So I like audio message Simon. And I was just like, well, it's not every day that you uh, wake up and you see that you are that the runner up to an award <laughs> that you just won is fucking Benedict straw hat Cumberbatch. Oh he my must, God. His head must be blown. Cause I listened to him on his podcast and it seemed like he was almost not midlife crisis, but just changing a lot of his he was switching gears he moved out to the desert and stuff and almost wanted to throw the acting away in a way it felt like and then to just kind of get prod into this and have this response he must be like he, he is i mean i think it's it's funny because you know we're um you know we're about the same age and and he like mm -hmm. you know we've been in the business for you know and i've been in the theater side and he's been in the film side but we both have a very similar kind of like this is really special. This is really cool. Not taking a, a moment of it for granted because mm. we know how fleeting this can be. And I think especially for him, who's had a certain degree of success and fame, um, and he knows that at the end of the day, what does that really mean? You know? And so I think he was having that moment where he was like, I'm going to move to Joshua Tree and, you know, just be one with nature and kind of like figure out what's next. And yeah, that's when uh, Sean came a knock and, and this hopefully maybe has brought him back into, and I hope people really give him some amazing opportunities to show off more of his incredible uh, acting ability. Cause I think Simon yeah. is such a gifted actor and this is just the beginning of that. I hope. 
um, of him sharing that. So. Okay. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for sharing. Oh, one last thing. I, we all, I always, I forgot to ask you coffee, how important is it to you and what's your, what's your go-to? I'll tell you love coffee. And I have to say that during the pandemic, when I was like stuck in Portland, I started doing these like morning coffee, like meditations of just like, we're helping me like keep track of days, helping me keep my sanity. And so it's funny because I, I have kept doing them. Like they have now just become part of my routine. So on my Instagram, I like uh, take a picture and I put a song with it. And that's kind of how I start my day. And it's really funny. I kind of, one day I, I didn't do it. And I had some people reach out to me and be like, um, where's the coffee, where's the coffee photo, like music thing. I'm like, Oh, Oh, I didn't know anybody was And They're like, we love that. Like I, I'm, that's how I start my day is I'm like, what's Brie listening to or like, what's going on? And I'm like, Oh, okay. So, um, I, and I feel very lucky because my mom through the pandemic has been sending, um, this delicious coffee from my hometown from PT's, um, PT's coffee. And it is called the Flatlander. Um, my brother likes the flying monkey, um, but I like the Flatlander um, and it is so good. And it's just, it gets me going. And so whenever she sends me a little care package that has it in it, that is like so awesome. Cause I get to have like coffee that makes me think of my mom, makes me think of home and just gets me going. And yeah. We're big fans it. of coffee. Every day I go down the street to Phil's and I get a thing called the daily alarm. It's, it's great. And what so- is it? What it's is, just their it? own coffee. I think it has a little bit of hazelnut, a little bit of Ooh. maybe nutmeg. I can uh, DM you the exact yeah. things, but uh, I'd love to know. yeah, they're they're a local SF, kind of like Stumptown to Portland. Oh yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah, kind of like that. But so I'm just almost. I don't want to be a coffee snob, but I want to be kind of a connoisseur of coffee. <laughs> I, I, same way, same, same. I mean, I definitely, I mean, I, I, I put milk in mine, so I'm sure already people are like, well, that's not coffee drinking, but yeah. No, I'll put a little, like I do coconut milk, almond milk. Ooh. I'll try different ones. They, everyone's into oat milk right now. I'm not really into that one, but me neither. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a little bit of cream to just lighten it up. Yeah. But, uh, Hey, I just, I just want to say, I appreciate you so much and good luck to everything. Hopefully it all works Thank out you. for you guys. I want to see you guys at the Oscars. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> From your mouth to the universe's ears. Rubbing shoulders <laughs> with Leo and Marty. Oh, yes, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> take take oh. care of yourself and be safe and healthy. It's uh, hopefully the light at the end of the tunnel is getting closer. God, I hope so. And I hope you guys can go on your honeymoon. Yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> Cheers. All take right, care. Take care. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Uh-huh. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Schmidt. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. When you subscribe, you'll get notifications every Tuesday of new episodes the minute they become available. Also, please leave reviews and a five-star rating. It's the best way to help the show grow. All of the episodes will always remain free, but if you would like to help support the show, you can do so at TalkingSchmidt.com, where you can pick up some merchandise like t-shirts, beanies, hats, and stickers. The website has an entire archive of all of the episodes, with extra photos and videos. Email us with any suggestions, comments, or ways that the show may have improved your life at TalkingSchmidt at gmail.com. All interviews are conducted, edited, and produced by Schmidty. The intro music is Mary's Cross by the band Nature. A very special shout-out goes to the executive director, Cheryl Camisa. This is Talking Schmidt, where the Rolodex is deep, but the conversation is deeper.